And I think in the in the Christian world, we can do some disservice when we just say, oh, just pray it away. You know, I think finding a therapist, finding some counseling, finding medication if that's something that you need and some help that way that will, and, and people to talk to about it and find, I'm not alone. I'm not the only one who feels this way. This isn't what God has planned for me. So I need help to find healing from that. Johnny Baker joins us today on Focus on the Family, and he's got insights on some healthy ways to deal with hurts and bad habits in your life. Your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. John, we did a quick Google search to find out what some of the most common coping mechanisms are for stressful situations. Uh, here's some of the top results. Drinking too much caffeine, sleeping too much, overeating, undereating, numbing out with social media or TV. Mm. That's probably the one I can relate to that, news, yeah. weather, and sports. <laughs> can you do that? Click, I don't. Click, click, I click. don't spend a lot of time clicking around. But, uh, <laughs> You're I have a better other ways. man than Other me. ways of dealing with stress. Well, you know, while those things aren't bad in and of themselves, I mean, those are all kind of modest things. Uh, if we're turning to material things instead of God for ultimate comfort, we're ultimately setting ourselves up for disappointment. And uh, that's how we're wired in relationship with God. And that was the experience of our guest today. When he was a teenager, he began uh, using alcohol to numb and. Uh, cope with that anger and pain, and it spiraled into an addiction that isolated him and threatened all of his relationships, and it's powerful. I appreciate someone like this because they had to go through some really tough valleys, and the the Lord has given them a testimony, and you're going to hear a great one today. And even if you consider your bad habit or hurt to be less serious than alcoholism, you start you know making that comparison thing, uh, Johnny's story of finding freedom will give you that hope that you can find true freedom through Christ. Mm -hmm. That's the key. And Johnny Baker is Saddleback Church's pastor of Celebrate Recovery. You'll hear him mention that, I'm sure, today. Uh, it's a 12-step, Christ-centered recovery ministry that offers hope and help to those dealing with an addiction or with trauma. Johnny is also a husband and dad of three and has written a book called The Road to Freedom, Healing from Your Hurts, Hang-Ups, and Habits. Hey, Johnny, welcome to Focus on the Family. Thanks for having me, guys. It's I'm great to have you. So excited to be here. Yeah. I mean, it's been a long road, right? It has been, yeah. <laughs> we're going to talk about that. But you make the claim that most of us, if not all of us, uh, have some unresolved pain or unhealthy coping mechanism. It's kind of the curse of humanity, isn't sure. it? Yeah. We cover the, it's the fig leaf, right? Yeah. We start covering up and hiding and it's just part of who we are as human beings in a sinful world. Uh, but what are some signs that we should take a second look at when we're looking at our behavior that you've learned to be cautious about? Yeah, I think it's what you said when you, you know, in the introduction there, when you were talking about the different coping mechanisms that we have. You know, the Bible says we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, which means we've all hurt other people with our sin. We've all been hurt by other people in their sin. And that's all of us. None of us escape that. Like you said, it's the curse of humanity. Yeah. And so I think what we need to do um, when we start to think, is this something that I need to deal with is to really just take an honest and open look at it. And so, you know, if somebody is doing one of those things, sleeping too much, drinking too much caffeine, which is one I don't want to look at right now. Those are the light ones, right? Exactly. But, you know, I think it's funny because we want to be able to say, well, at least I don't fill right. in the blank. I'm right. not as bad as my neighbor. I'm not as bad as whoever. And I think any of those things that you, like you said, that, are in the position of Christ in our lives are things that we need to take a look at and say, 
how much is too much and when do I need right. to, when do I, what do I need to do with this? That's exactly right. That's why, you know, lay the comparison thing at the, at the doormat today. And let's just talk about what hooks us and what keeps us from that deeper relationship in Christ. That's right. kind of the overarching thing. Hey, I understand that your uh, personal struggle with addiction, alcohol mm-hmm. was the, I think the core thing, but you can set me straight. Sure. Kind of started about 14. Describe for us the environment. You know, I've, I've got teen boys. Yeah. And for all of us listening that have those teenagers or twenty somethings even, yeah. what are what were some of those things environmentally for you that were pushing you in that direction? Sure. So my dad, John Baker, is the founder of Celebrate Recovery, and so okay, that right there is amazing. Yeah, I mean, and, and and so we can talk about that. But before <laughs> he was the founder of Celebrate Recovery, he was a practicing alcoholic. Right. And that was the environment I was raised in. Uh, when I was about thirteen, my parents got separated. My mom said, "Either deal with this." go to counseling with me or get out. And to all of our surprise, my dad left. And it was during that time that I began experimenting with drugs and, and different things. What was going on though, I really wanna be crystal clear for the listener. Mm-hmm. I mean, as that 13, 14 year old sure. boy, what pushed you in that direction? What yeah. was lacking? What could have kept you? It's such a good question. Cause I think part of it is I've always been somebody who kind of wanted to rebel. I've always, I've always had that sort of urge to, be wild and kind of do do my own thing. Don't go with the flow. Yeah, okay. and it was it was during the that time that I found my excuse. My parents were separated, huh. and so I I was able to act out and do things that I wanted to do, and nobody was going to say, "Oh, well, you shouldn't do that." I had I had this perfect excuse at home, and at the same time as my dad was out of the house, he began his recovery journey. He began attending Alcoholics Anonymous and got sober there. Right. Um, and so our paths were starting to kind of go in different ways. As he was starting to find sobriety, I was starting to act out a little. Yeah. Now, thankfully, although I did act out at that time, I was also able to kind of, I was plugged in at our church and I was plugged in through different things. And I had some really good mentors who helped get me straight for that time. And so when my parents started Celebrate Recovery, I was able to attend and help them set up and do all of those things. But then later on in life, I moved to LA. I was just about 21, moved to LA and uh, started drinking and started going out pretty much every night and really fell into depression and serious alcoholism uh, that took me away from everything that I loved. I stopped going to church. I stopped having some key relationships in my life. Thankfully met my now wife at the time at our church. I went to a college ministry event and and met her, hid my drinking from her. Um, And so really it was my own choices and my own character that really led me down the path that I ended up going. Where's the balance between acknowledging that we're at risk to repeat those patterns, but not feeling destined to? I'm sure some listeners are thinking to themselves, You know, maybe right now they're struggling with yeah. alcoholism, just yeah. to, or maybe drug addiction, whatever right. it might be. And their dad was in that same place, sure. and they're saying it's you know it's fait accompli. I right. can't fight it. Right. You might have even said that at one point. Well, I actually thought he didn't know how to do it right, and I was going to show him the right way. <laughs> well, yeah. What, so tell <laughs> me what really? that looks yeah. like. Well, I just thought you know he he got trapped and he didn't know how to handle it, and I was I learned from his mistakes, and I was going to be fine. I and was you could be do able better. Handle, I was going to do. You could do alcoholism do better. And I did. He never got arrested, <laughs> and I did. You know, he did <laughs> lots of different things. But um, I, I also have teenage children, and I terrified sometimes right. about alcoholism and about you know the culture of. Um, you know, recreational marijuana in our culture and all those things. And so uh, it's scary. And so I made a decision a long time ago to talk to them openly at an age appropriate level 
when they ask me questions about things. Uh, Johnny, let me, uh, in the book, The Road to Freedom, you had a great story in there. And, you know, in, in so many ways, people can relate, even though the nouns might be different. Sure. You had to make that really hard phone call right. when you got pulled over, arrested for a DUI. Yeah. How old were you and who did you call? Yeah, so it was December of 1999. So I was in my 20s and I, I'll never forget, I, I called my dad. So I was terrified because I wasn't just calling my dad, but I was also calling the pastor and founder of Celebrate Recovery, this worldwide oh, ministry that yeah. helps so many people. But here's his own kid calling and saying, I've, I've made this mistake. But he was so gracious. He, he picked me up in the morning and he said, on the way home, I'll never forget. He just looked at me and goes, I'm not going to lecture you. You've made some choices. I think you need to look at your actions. And that was it. And he really let me go and figure out my own thing. And I'd love to say, oh man, it was from that moment on, I never drank again. Right. It's just not my story. I didn't drive after I drank again, but I, I continued drinking because I made the decision that it was the driving that was the problem. The yeah. drinking was fine. you yeah. know. Mm. Well, no, and I so appreciate that. And I think the reason I wanted to hear that story is because your dad's reaction. Yeah. I mean, he that's a great father reaction, yeah. even if you didn't head right. up, celebrate right. recovery. It's so great because, you know, the lecture could have just made me angry or I know dad oh, yeah. or whatever it is. And instead it really, it, it resonated with me and it kind of haunted me for a while because yeah. it was so gracious and, and so gentle. And, uh, and, you know, thank goodness he had his own recovery to lean on, to know not to really, you know, we're going to put you in a rehab and we're going to put these things on you. Now, I, the next call I had to make when I got home was to my fiance. And I thought for sure she was gone. Just, you know, and she, thankfully she just said, okay, I'm, I'm coming over. She was at work. She left work and came over and hung out for a little while and talked through it. And, uh, and we got married in 2000 and, uh, I ended up hiding my drinking from her for a number of years before I finally hmm. checked out. So that kept going for a, a long period of time. Yeah. Uh, you say there are three main reasons that we don't admit to having a problem. Uh, outline those for us, those three main reasons. Yeah. Uh, you know, one is that we, you were afraid to admit that we have a problem because it makes us feel like we're weak. Yeah. And so, you know, if we don't admit we have a problem, it feels, you know, not admitting a problem, it, it makes us feel like, oh, well, we're, I'm weak if I admit I'm, I have a problem. And I think that we need to be careful for that because it's when we admit our problems that actually God is able to work in our lives. Yeah, so when we are weak, he is strong. Right, There's right. Something and we about have that. this feeling that we're just, we're just going to put it together. We're going to hold it together. You know, we're going to make it work. And so, you know, another reason is we don't trust God. We don't trust that he really cares about us and that he really can that he really wants to help us. And then we don't believe he can help us or maybe we can't be helped. Mm -hmm. And when those things happen, and so like you said earlier, if somebody's listening to this and they're struggling with their own issue, they might think, man, I can't, I can't tell anybody about this because I'll get judged or, or you know, I'll get kicked out of my church or my small group or whatever it is. And, and you know, the Bible says that we need to confess our sins to each other and pray for one another so that we can be healed. Right. We're forgiven when we tell God, but we're healed in this way when we tell each other because we have a saying in recovery that we're as sick as our secrets. Oh, wow. And so that thing that I can't talk about, if you're listening to this right now and you're thinking, man, I could never tell somebody this struggle or this thing that I'm dealing with, that thing owns you. Mm -hmm. And if I can't talk about it, that's, you know, or to go back yeah. to something you asked earlier, what's a sign that something is out of control in my life? I can't tell anybody about it. Wow. I'm afraid that's to tell point. somebody about it. Yeah. Um, and because I'm afraid I'm going to get judged or, or, you know, or maybe I just feel like, I'm doomed. I just can't. I've I've so many nights I've asked God to take this from me, or so many times I've said, you know, I I, I want to stop this and I don't know how, and so it stops us from getting the help that we need. Yeah. Hey, Johnny, you um, talk about secrecy and the importance of it, and I think that's critical. I I really appreciate uh, those analogies that you're 
secrecy or your secrets are really who you are. Yeah. You can't yeah. express them and say them. Um, what finally woke you up in your journey? Uh, how old were you? Yeah. What, what got you? Yeah, my wife got pregnant. And so my oldest daughter, she got pregnant with my oldest daughter, Maggie. And um, I remember because of my DUI, like I said, I never drove after I had anything to drink ever again. And, and by the way, that was stubbornness because I had to go to a bunch of these classes and they told me you'll get another one. And so it wasn't, it wasn't <laughs> they like, told you that? oh yeah, and they, it's, you know, and most people do. And so I just was like, oh, not me. I won't be that guy. It, it wasn't out of the goodwill of other drivers on the road or anything. It was just purely like me, I'll show you, you know? And so um, I remember we had just found out she was pregnant and I just had that moment of thinking, if she were to go into labor after I had a drink, which I was hiding from her, we'd have to call her mom or my mom or somebody to or drive Uber. us to the hospital, right? right. This is pre-Uber, you know? And so it was this moment of, even though it was, way in the beginning of her pregnancy, the gig would be up. I would be exposed. And so I decided not to wait for that. I kind of had this moment of clarity, we call it in recovery. And I thought, well, I really need to make a change. And so the next morning I told my wife, I said, Jenny, I think, I think I'm an alcoholic. Now I told her that a number of times before. So she kind of was like, uh-huh, you know? And I said, no, but this time I really want to do something about it. I called my dad and I said, Dad, I think I'm an alcoholic. And he was like, yes, you are. <laughs> you know, and he said, I said, he what do I, yeah, I said, what do I do? He said, yeah. get to a meeting. And so I be, began attending recovery for myself. But really it was her getting pregnant with Maggie. And I thought, I don't want to bring this into my mm -hmm. family. I don't want to repeat those things and have my kids see me this way. And thank God this, you know, by his grace, they, they never have. That's not a part of the story that they know. Mm -hmm. uh, they know the story from me telling them, but they haven't seen that. Yeah. So d with your wife, do you think she really didn't know? Did you really, could you keep it from her for thought, 10 years, 15 I, years? How I long thought was it? I was hiding. I thought I was doing a good job. I didn't know until she went through recovery for herself for codependency. And she actually wrote her testimony and she was reading it to me one night. And, um, Man, it's heartbreaking to think about, but she told me uh, that she knew, but she was afraid to talk to me about it because she was afraid I would leave. And I was afraid to let her know because I was afraid she would leave. Wow. So for the first four years of our marriage, we were afraid that the other person was gonna walk out that door. Kind of hiding from yeah. each other. And so she was, she was angry and she was upset and sad but afraid to talk to me about it because she thought I'd go, you know what, I'm out of here and I would just leave. And I was afraid of the same thing with her. And so, no, I, 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 and that's the thing about denial. We talk about denial a lot in recovery and that denial is that thing that says you're getting away with it. You're fooling everybody, nobody knows. And I thought, I really thought I was. I yeah. thought I was fooling her and she knew the whole time. Mm -hmm. And so um, it's, a, it's a great source of shame for me. How did you, I mean, again, you are, pregnant as a couple mm -hmm. and that starts you thinking differently right what was that first conversation like when you spoke to her and you both moved toward each other yeah in this hidden yeah it was secret it i, I would love to say it was this big beautiful moment but really well, no. it was another one of these times where you know i in, in the past i would go out and maybe i'd get a little more drunk and i would come home and feel guilty so i'd say oh maybe i have a problem just to kind of pacify and make her think i was going to do something about it but this time i think so it's a little bit of the boy who cried wolf situation in some ways of her like, yeah, I've heard this before. But in other ways, it was like, okay, well, what, and this is such a great question, what are you going to do about it? 
And so we began working on that. Um, And as I began my recovery, at, at that point, it really was focused on my behavior, on my habit. And I think for a lot of people uh, in this situation, um, the addict or the person acting out or the person with the issue, it, it can feel like, man, it's really on my shoulders. I have to do something. And it's true. You do. You have to find that recovery or that freedom or that yeah. change. Uh, and then once we begin to change, other people in our lives begin to see it. And so my wife, as I you know, went through recovery and then I began working at the church and began doing those things, uh, she started to see it and we had by this time, three kids. So as a, as a mom staying home and taking care of our kids supported me as I went through recovery, but then she was eventually able to go through for her own issues. And now what's so beautiful is we don't have secrets from each other. Yeah. And it's a goal, right? And and it's a work because there's still that part of me that says you should hide this. Right. So that part of me that says, Hey, maybe you should get home before that Amazon package arrives. So she doesn't know. And that's so silly. I mean, really? Yeah. Really? You know, and so we've worked through those things, both of us being in recovery, lots of counseling together and separately as well. Um, but there's been such this change in our family now because yeah. we speak recovery in our household. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, you know, I so appreciate that. And people, again, this is just the inf- the affliction of humanity. Mm-hmm. And this is just a big part of so many people's story. And it mm-hmm. may not be alcohol. It's a whole host of things right. that we haven't even said. But uh, your recovery, as you've described it, you know, it's a process. Mm-hmm. It's a healing that takes many years. There's many layers to it. But one thing you learned was that the importance of small, steady improvement mm-hmm. and how key it is. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes we want the whole enchilada, as right. the saying goes, right. right? We want to get from point A to point Z. Right quickly. But you had a, a story about uh, running, I think, that kind yeah. of nailed this for you. What what happened? So I, I'm i not a runner. I hate running. I'm with you. I, I hate it. <laughs> but I really wanted to love it. And so, um, again, part of my addictive personality, I decided I was going to start running. Now, I have a brother-in-law who's about seven years younger than me, and he called me up and he said, hey, let's do a half marathon together. And he's in shape and a runner and the whole thing. I was like, yeah, let's do that. So he emailed me a running plan. <laughs> and the running plan said, on Monday, run a mile, Tuesday, take a day off, Wednesday, run a mile, so on and so forth. So I did that for the first week. But I was like, you know, 10, 12 minutes doesn't really feel like a workout. Maybe this is, maybe I'm more advanced than this, <laughs> oh, than this, this, this plan. Yeah, and so uh, I started running. If it said two miles, I ran three miles. If it said four miles, I ran five. And so about halfway through that training, I was about six weeks in and I went on my longest run and I ran for nine miles. I never run that, bu- that far before. And um, I'm running and I'm starting to feel pain in my knee, but all the running books, because I was reading books and blogs and you know, you're in, I was uh, podcast, the whole thing, you know, yeah. uh, cause I'm a runner now. You have to understand <laughs> right. I'm a runner. And so I've got the barefoot shoes and the fanny pack with the goo tablets and oh, the whole yeah. thing, you know, so I'm, I'm in it. And so I, everything I'd read said, you gotta run through the pain. So I kept running through the pain. And then my right or my left foot started hurting. So my right knee and my left foot are hurting. And I'm kind of, well, I'm almost there. And I was going to run to this spot. My wife was going to meet me and she was going to drive me back. The path I was on didn't have lights or it was a running path. So I just could keep running. But then about a quarter mile from where I was going to meet her, I had to stop. And I did that runner's jog, you know, where you stand there at the crosswalk and check your pulse. And I don't, I don't know what I'm checking for, but I'm just doing the, <laughs> you know, the thing. And, and then, uh, as the light turns green for me to cross the street, I step off and pain just shot through the ball of my foot, like out through my head, my knee seized up. And I had to do this like limp walk for the last quarter mile. And literally as soon as my wife saw me, she goes, 
you're going to the doctor. And I said, no way, just a little ice and some Advil, I'll be fine. A couple hours later, I'm in the doctor's office because she's smarter than me. And uh, he said, what, you know, what's going on? I said, well, uh, the last six weeks, I've, I ran 120 miles. And he said, well, how many miles did you run in those six weeks before that? I said, oh, zero. <laughs> and he said, what is that? I haven't run a mile since high school. And he said, so in the last six weeks, you went from zero to 120 miles. I said, yeah, maybe I should also tell you I'm a recovering alcoholic. And I'm not kidding you guys. He took the sheet of paper, crumpled it up, threw it over his shoulder and said, we have to start all over with you. And I went through this process of having to heal my IT band and this bone bruise in my foot and this whole thing. And for about six more weeks, I couldn't run. I was, I was sidelined and I was grumpy and I kept, I wanted to run. I'd look at my running shoes by the front door and I'd say soon, you know, and I'd start to do it. I laced up my shoes when I finally got the all clear to run. I ran out the front door, got about 10 yards from my door. I was like, why am I doing this? I hate this. And I've never run since. I just, I just, it's just because I tried to do too much too soon. And so had I followed that plan, right? Oh, by the way, I didn't get to run the half marathon. Right. So I didn't get to do the race. I, I had to pull out of that. Had I done that plan, I might still be running today. I might've at least completed that race. And for recovery and for life change, we, we want the same thing. We want... We want it to be done now, but that's not as lasting as small, steady improvement. That yeah. change that that compounds over time. Yeah, what a great analogy for life and how to do things in moderation. Again, a great biblical principle. Yeah, right? I wish that do these things I wish in moderation. That my knee hadn't had to pay the price for that. But yeah, <laughs> no, it's true. Uh, you know, Johnny, um, this is a place to end, but I want to ask you about your bouts of depression that uh -huh. enters into this as well. And this is going to connect with a lot of listeners yeah, because it's just epidemic in our mm -hmm. culture right now. There's mm -hmm. a lot of things that can get us depressed and it can overwhelm us. And yeah. of course, again, scripture saying, you know, fear not mm -hmm. and to pursue the Lord and mm -hmm. let him be your joy. Mm -hmm. And at at one place as Christians, we read that, we understand that, we talk about it with one another, yeah. but to have it in our hearts, to actually live it, right. is a completely different thing. Right. So what was that depression like for you, and how did you fight through that? Yeah, so my depression was um, was really linked closely to anxiety. I've been a worrier my entire life, and I'm just somebody who, I mean, if you, if you guys told me about something good that happened today, I'd tell you three things you should worry about. You know, I'm just, huh. I'm good at finding the cloud and the silver lining. And so I just have always worried. And, and so my anxiety, I think on a chemical level and in, in, you know, my chromosomes, a lot, I come from a family of warriors and I, you know, just sort of the, a coping mechanism is to kind of, what's the worst thing that can happen? So that way I'm not surprised. Um, and so as I've done counseling and some therapy for that and worked on my anxiety, my depression has gotten better. And I think that one of the things that I would encourage people is to find help for those things. You know, I, I, I love when the Bible doesn't just say don't do something, but it gives us the antidote for that, right? right. So, you know, one of my favorite verses in Philippians is don't worry about anything, but hmm. in everything prayer with prayer and thanksgiving, present your request to God. I love that because now in my family, when I or my kids start to worry, we'll stop and we'll go, okay, what's this? We're worrying. What are we supposed to do instead? So it's not just don't worry. Don't worry because not, not, not worrying is not trusting God. It's true, but it's not very helpful. Right. Instead to say, well, let's pray about that. Let's stop and let's turn this over to God. And so I think for people that are struggling with those issues, I think just as hard as it is for somebody struggling with a recovery issue to find that help 
I think somebody struggling with a mental health issue, it can be just as hard. And I yeah. think in the in the Christian world, we can do some disservice when we just say, oh, just pray it away. You know, I think finding a therapist, finding some counseling, finding medication, if that's something that you need and some help that way, that will, and, and people to talk to about it and find, I'm not alone. I'm not the only one who feels this way. This isn't what God has planned for me. So I need help to find healing from that. Really important reminders from Johnny Baker today on Focus on the Family about the importance of seeking help if you have an addiction or an unhealthy habit in your life. Uh, If that describes you, please reach out to a trusted pastor or a friend who knows God who can help you begin your healing journey. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller. I really appreciated the raw honesty with which Johnny Baker shared his testimony today. People are often too ashamed to admit their addictions. And so just like Johnny, they do everything possible to hide them from others. Or they don't want to recognize that they even have an addiction. But what makes Johnny's story so powerful and helpful to others is that he tells it as it is. And perhaps you can relate to parts of his story. If you know that you could do with help and an outside perspective, please get in touch with a trusted person who can walk closely with you on your journey to recovery. Also remember that Focus on the Family has trained counselors available to speak to you. Call our office on 031-716-3300 or log on to safamily.co.za and scroll down to the counseling link. Johnny's book is called The Road to Freedom. Whether you're dealing with substance abuse, relational struggles or eating challenges, or you simply want to let go of what is holding you back in life, you'll find answers in The Road to Freedom. In addition to telling his own story, Baker offers 10 principles of healing. This book will help you move from coping with hurts, hang-ups and habits to the hope and health that only Jesus can bring. You'll find The Road to Freedom online at safamily.co.za or give us a call on 031-716-3300 to order. Thanks for joining us for today's Focus on the Family. I'm Graham Schnell, inviting you back next time when we'll once again help you and your family thrive in Christ.